As y'all can see from the lack of hair here and the abundance of hair here, I'm not Pastor Mike. He is at the beach. Um, I know, I know, I know. I know. Um, but I'm going to be speaking to y'all today. We're going to be in the book of Philippians, chapter 1. So um, you guys can go ahead and open up your Bibles there if you have them. Uh, but while y'all are turning there, I've kind of realized that some of y'all don't really know me as well as others, and I kind of just want to introduce myself to y'all a little bit, kind of tell y'all about myself. So, um, you know, I grew up in Fayetteville, Georgia. It's uh, about an hour south of Atlanta, so lived there pretty much my whole life. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, I kind of started to explore that more, getting a deep relationship kind of around middle school, early high school. Uh, I wanted to become a youth pastor because of the impact that a youth pastor in my life had on me, and then I uh, found out about Truett, I went to Truett, found out about, you know, Matt and Mike, I met them, and then we got started here at Transformation, that's kind of how we got here. Um, but I just kind of wanted to introduce myself to y'all, because I realized some of y'all don't really know me that well, so there we go. Uh, but now we're going to read this passage, so out of reverence for the Word of God, if you are able, please stand. Alright, this is Philippians 1, 12 through 20. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the Praetorian Guard and everyone else, and that most of the brothers and sisters, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking that they are causing me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only in that in every other way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. But not only that, but also I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame by anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Father, thank you for bringing us here today. Um, we thank you for just this morning uh, that we can gather here in this community center and we can just worship you, God. Uh, I pray for this message, God, that what you want to be said will be said and what you want to be understood will be understood. Uh, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Just let me pray. Amen. Y'all be seated. So, I want to give you guys a little context about the book of Philippians, or the letter of Philippians. It's one of the prison epistles that uh, Paul wrote. That's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. If you can't remember that, it's God eats potato chips. Galatians, <laughs> Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. But I don't know if that's very biblical, but, you know, it's okay. Um, no, but it's one of the ones that Paul wrote while he was in prison, whether that is, you know, in the jail cell, whether that's under house arrest, like, Philippians is, but it's while Paul does not have freedom. Uh, the traditional belief that this book was written in is in Rome, uh, while Paul was in prison there. That's, so that dates it sometimes between AD 60 and AD 62. Uh, the church Philippi, Paul founded that, he planted that in the early 50s, and then he would go on to write them letters and keep in communication with them for the rest of his life until he would die. But now we're going to get into the the verses. So verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So th this passage right here, verses 12 through 20, is the transition. It's the, the verses before this are the introduction to the letter, the greeting. 
and then this passage right here transitions into the body. And so he starts off talking about his imprisonment, but he uses a form of communication that's called a meta-comment. And basically that is a communication style where a communicator will start off talking about something, but then they stop to talk about what they really want to focus on. So in this case, Paul is talking about his imprisonment, but then he stops talking about that to talk about the gospel, which is what he really wants to focus on, showing that he doesn't really, you know, his imprisonment, his circumstances aren't his main focus. He wants to just talk about the gospel, and that's hard for us to do. We, want, we focus on ourselves. When we get down in our dumps, we just want to focus on, oh, like, oh, why am I here? This, is, this isn't great. I don't like this. I don't want to be here. I want to get out of this. Instead of thinking about how this is actually, it could be benefiting the gospel or benefiting the kingdom in another way. And the problem with that is just like us wanting, that's, that's like pride and just things like that. Um, that's been mankind's problem since the beginning. Adam and Eve, their sin came from them wanting to be like God, right? Proverbs tells us that pride is before destruction. So that's been our problem since the beginning of time. And that's the problem that, um, sorry, lost my place. <laughs> and... Paul, that's the problem that a lot of us have because we want to focus on ourselves rather than um, the main goal. And that brings me to my first point, which is to keep the main thing the main thing. If you're taking notes, keep the main thing the main thing. And, of course, that is the gospel. That is Jesus Christ. Paul's in prison, but he's not bothered by that, right? Um, he'd rather talk about the gospel and how it has advanced, how it has progressed because of his imprisonment. So he's, he still talks about his imprisonment, but that's not his focus. He talks about how his imprisonment has advanced the gospel. And then verse 13. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the Praetorian and to everyone else. So when Paul's talking about his imprisonment in the cause of Christ, what he's saying is he's not a civil wrongdoer. He's not a political wrongdoer. He didn't break the, their laws. His imprisonment is because he's a Christian, right? It's because he was in Christ is what he's saying. And because of that, his imprisonment being in Christ, the gospel has advanced in two different ways. The first way being is brought the evangelization of pagans. And then the second way, it has encouraged other believers in Rome and, the, uh, and in Philippi once they read this letter, um, leading them to have better evangelism because they've been encouraged by what he's doing in imprisonment. So the evangelization of pagans... Paul is under house arrest when he writes this. So there's the Praetorian Guard. The Praetorian Guards were these people. They were like kind of like the emperor's, like his, his, like his troop. And there was 9,000 to 10,000 of them in Rome at the time. And so basically Paul would be in his house, and he was under house arrest for two years waiting on his, um, his tribunal where he'd have to go be with, uh, he'd have to stand before Emperor Nero and make his case. But... So these Praetorian Guard would be, they'd come to his house and they would watch him. He'd be confined there and you know, he would, wouldn't be able to leave, wouldn't be able to do anything like that. But basically it was their job to just keep him there. But in doing this, Rome gave Paul a person to talk to about Jesus every single day. They would send somebody that isn't a Christian. This, at Rome at that time was not a, a Christian place. There was all types of religions, but it was not Christianity. And so every single day, they'd send a, a guard to his house, and um, he, they would watch over him all day. They'd have to be with him. So if they're going to be with him, you better believe Paul's going to tell them about Jesus. That's just, you know, that's how Paul was. That's how we should be. But every single day, the person that gets, it's their job to keep him imprisoned. And every single day, Paul would tell them 
about Jesus. Paul's telling his captors about Jesus. Like, we should be able to do that to everybody. If Paul can do that to his imprisoners, why can't we just tell our friends, right? So, things like that. Uh, verse 14 deals with the encouragement of believers. This is verse 14. And most of the brothers and sisters, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So, he, what he's telling them here is that the believers in Rome are more, uh, they've been encouraged because of his imprisonment. They're not, uh, they're not discouraged, not disheartened, but they've been encouraged because they see what Paul can do while he's in prison. And they're like, well, if Paul can continue his ministry in prison or in his house arrest, then, you know, we have all these different advantages. Like, we can do all this work, too. And it encouraged them to better evangelization. They would meet with more people and talk to more people. And the without fear part is what's really encouraging because, sorry, um, Nero was the emperor of Rome at the time. If you know anything about Nero, is he was a cruel dude. He hated Christians, right? Uh, Nero is the dude that he was responsible for the burning of two-thirds of Rome. For, he did it for political gain, but he burned two-thirds of Rome, and he blamed it on the Christians. And was like, he was like, oh, it was their fault, and he made everybody in Rome upset with the Christians, and that's where a lot of the Christian persecution comes from, and, or at least in Rome came from. But this verse tells us something about Paul that we should all strive to be. This verse tells us that, yes, Paul would like to be free, obviously, but his role is just changed. He still has a role in his imprisonment for the advance of the kingdom, though. He can still have an impact on the gospel, just not in the same way. His role has just changed. But for him... The gospel is more important than his role in making it known, right? Paul just wants the gospel to be made known. He doesn't want it for him. He doesn't want the glory to go to him. Obviously, he wants to have a role in that because that's what we're called to do. But it's not for him for the glory. It's the glory for God, and that's why he wants to have that role. And so Paul knew it wasn't a light about him, and likewise, we all know it's not about us. Verse 15. Um, some, to be sure, are preaching, out of, preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but also some from goodwill. So verse 14 is a very encouraging little sentence about the, uh, how the Christians in Rome have been encouraged. And then verse 15 is like, oh, but there's also these people, they preach out of envy and they preach out of strife. Right? Bless you. Um, the word that is used for envy is also the same word that's used in the book of Matthew when they describe the people who turned over Jesus to Pilate. Um, these two words occur in Scripture a few times. In Romans, they occur together, describing those who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And in 1 Timothy, they occur together, describing uh, false teachers. Uh, envy, we know that, that's jealousy. Strife is anger, bitterness over a disagreement, fundamental issues. So these words, these aren't things that we want to be, right? This, this is... These words describe something that we don't want. And the root of both these words is pride, right? Envy, wanting more for yourself. Uh, strife, wanting to be right about something, wanting what you want to be right, wanting it to be your way. And that's exactly what these other preachers wanted. Paul came in. Paul is like well known for his reputation at the time, but it's intimidating. They're jealous. Men of this time, very competitive. Even, even today, men are very competitive. But of this time, at this time, men were very competitive. So they see Paul come in, and they're like, we don't want this guy here. This guy, he's, you know, this super Christian that's going to, you know, he's going to be the one that everybody flocks to. We want him to flock to us. So they were doing so out of pride. 
But whenever they saw Paul in prison, they saw it as an opportunity to preach the gospel they saw fit. Because they saw Paul, and they were like, okay, well, he's preached a good message, but we oppose his leadership. So they accepted what he said, but opposed him in charge. And that's just another example of them just wanting more for themselves. They want the glory to go to themselves. And how often do we do that? We want the pride, like we want attention, we want glory. Whenever like we do something good, and then like even even if you tell a joke and nobody hears it, and then somebody says it a little louder, and you're like, and everybody laughs, like, oh, well, I said it first. Like we, we want that, we want that, right? And like that's just like humans since the beginning of time. Pride's just in us, and we always, it's just something we all struggle with. We all want. Um, to be better, we all want just the attention, the glory, the honor. But Paul's saying these are the people that the people that are preaching out of this pride and this envy and this strife. You know, they're not the they're not good people, right? So then, uh, verses sixteen and seventeen. Uh, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking that they are causing me distress in my imprisonment. So these two verses kind of expound upon the different types of preachers that um, are reacting to Paul's imprisonment. There are those preaching out envy and strife, and then there are those preaching out of goodwill. Those who preach out of love and goodwill understand Paul's calling. Paul's calling, he is called by God to be in this imprisonment so he can advance and defend the gospel in a different way. Um, The word that Paul uses for appointed was originally a military term, and it meant to be under orders. So you could say that Paul is under orders from God to advance and defend the gospel in his imprisonment. And you can, have, you can kind of think of it like this. Since Paul is going to the Roman tribunal, he has to make his case. It's kind of like the gospel is on trial, and he's the divinely appointed defense attorney. God has appointed Paul in this position, in this new role of his, to defend and advance the gospel through his house arrest for you know, the next two years while he waits for his trial. And so that brings me to my second point, which is accept your divine appointments. Right? Paul recognized what God was doing in his life, but he didn't let his circumstances or his afflictions or anything like that keep him from filling out, uh, fulfilling that mission. And these other teachers, they didn't recognize, the ones that preach out envy and strife, they didn't recognize what God was doing in Paul's life. They, they're having a field day. They're like, oh, Paul's in prison. I can, do, I can preach how I want to preach, and I don't have to worry about other people flocking to him. I can just, the glory is going to go to me now. But Paul does it right because Paul isn't focused on himself. And he almost, he almost mocks the other preachers, really. Um, he says that he, they think they can cause me distress in my imprisonment, but they can't. Because Paul is focused on the gospel and not them. He's not focused on what they think about him, what they say about him, or anything like that. He's just focused on the gospel. He's almost like saying, I'm just following the path that God's laid before me. Why would I be stressed out about anything you guys do or say? And verse 18. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. So third point, the advancement of the gospel is cause for rejoice. You know, people, they they let this stop them way too much when... You know, they don't like a certain preacher, or they don't like a certain person, or that, you know, that preacher leads people to Christ, or uh, a certain person gets saved, and they don't rejoice, because they're like, oh, I, you know, 
yeah, it's cool, but you know, I'm not really friends with them. But whenever their best friend gets saved, like, oh, that's great. And it is. But we should rejoice when anyone gets saved or when anybody leads anyone to be saving. You know, sh- shame on us if we let someone, like, a, if there shouldn't be rival preachers, but if there's a rival preacher or someone you feel like, if you're a preacher and you feel like you have a rival with someone and they lead, them to Christ, they lead someone else to Christ and you don't rejoice over that, shame on you for that. And if you're a person in a congregation and somebody that you've had disagreements with gets saved, shame on you for that if you don't rejoice over that. Paul's focus is on evangelism regardless of anyone else or their impure motives. Paul keeps the main thing the main thing. And the opening question in this verse literally means what for and is translated as what does it matter? So almost like he's saying, Jesus is proclaimed, what does it matter? What, what does it matter that these people are preaching out of these impure motives? Jesus is proclaimed, why, why does it matter? These other teachers didn't like Paul. And to be honest, Paul... Paul probably, you know, they probably weren't his favorite people either. They were saying all these bad things about him and everything like that. But he doesn't let that bother him, and he doesn't, he doesn't give in to that. He just rejoices because I'm in prison, but there are still people out there doing the good work. I, I can't do it in the way I used to do it. I have my role, and they have their role, and they're bringing people to Jesus too. So he rejoices in that. Keep the main thing the main thing. It's not about you. It's not about anyone else. It's always about God. Verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul's rejoicing because his tribulations will lead to his deliverance, and he knows that. And he's saying something about Christian discipleship here, that it means to suffer as Jesus suffered. It means to share in Christ's sufferings. And that being a follower of Christ, you're going to suffer as Jesus suffered. Jesus even said that himself. So, that's what Paul does. He's in his imprisonment. He can't, he's suffering more emotionally than he is physically. Paul is suffering because he can't evangelize like he used to. He can't, obviously he still has his role, but he's suffering. Like he's not, he doesn't get to go out and evangelize and talk to people and be amongst the people and tell them about Jesus. Obviously, you know, he's on house arrest, so he can have visitors come in and he can talk to the Praetorian Guard, but he can't do it the way he used to do it. And so he, he's suffering, but he's sharing in Christ's sufferings whenever he does that. That's Christian discipleship. And so usually deliverance in the New Testament is talking about salvation. But in this sense, it's actually talking about just deliverance from his imprisonment, but also deliverance for the gospel. Remember how I said it's like he was the divinely appointed defense attorney? Well, the, defense, or the, the gospel is on trial, and it has to be delivered, has to be cleared. This is what Paul is trying to do. So he has to make his case before the Roman tribunal and defend the gospel. But what he does is he counts the power of prayer and he counts the power of the Holy Spirit and how prayer gets its power from the provision of the Holy Spirit. He believes that his trial will be delivered through the hopes, or sorry, through the prayers of his fellow saints and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying something about the Christian life here. Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation. And you're thinking, Paul is isolated. Yeah, Paul is isolated physically, sure. He's practically by himself. He has you know, a, a Roman guard with him every day and maybe a couple visitors. But for the most part, he's isolated. But him, the Roman Christians, uh, now the Philippians, whenever they read this letter, and the Holy Spirit are all bound together by prayer. And that's what the Christian life is. You know, we got people 
all over this room that come from all different places. And, you know, you have friends that I don't know, and I have friends that y'all don't know. But we're all bound together by prayer whenever we pray for each other. And that's why it's so important for Christians to be praying for each other. Verse 20. According to my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul's eager expectation and hope, it does not convey wishfulness. Paul's not wishing anything. He is confident. He knows. Hope filled expectation. Hope in the New Testament is really, um, it's usually used for certainty about the future. And that's exactly what it is here. And what does he expect in the future? Well, he believes that he will not be ashamed. Um, Roman imprisonment, Roman execution, very shameful for that time. Whenever someone, I mean, it even is now being imprisoned and executed. That's something that anyone would be ashamed of. But in Roman culture, it was very shameful. And Paul is not ashamed because he knows that his imprisonment is in Christ. He knows that his imprisonment is going to glorify Christ and exalt Christ even more. He knows that he's going to advance and defend the gospel and glorify God. And he dismisses death as an obstacle because whether he lives or dies, his imprisonment and his Roman tribunal are going to um, glorify God. So death is not going to be an obstacle to him. Even if he does die, his life will glorify God and his mission will be accomplished. And then he expects to have courage. And then this refers to when he's going to stand before Emperor Nero and the rest of the Roman tribunal and he has to make his case to them. But he's not making his case, he's making the gospel's case and he's defending it. So when he's on the hot seat, he wants to speak boldly, basically, is what he's asking, or what he's expecting there. So, kind of just coming out into a wrap-up. As y'all are going about your week, keep the main thing the main thing, right? There's all sorts of struggles in your life every single day. We've had some this morning already. But keep the main thing the main thing, right? Every single day. Like Paul in his imprisonment, he stayed focused on Jesus. That's what we should do throughout our week. Because it's not about us, and it's not about anyone else. Uh, accept your divine appointments. God has given each and every single one of us different spiritual gifts and a plan within his plan. And he's laid before plans for us to do. And so, but they rely on our obedience and our acceptance, right? And then rejoice in the advancement of the gospel, right? Whether it's someone that you are best friends with or whether it's somebody you don't know, whether it's someone you disagree with on the daily, if they advance the gospel, if they receive the gospel, that is cause for rejoice. And what you got to do is rejoice because that's a person that was headed for hell, that is now a member of your family. Right? And, I mean, if you want to join that family, why not today? Right? If you're somebody that isn't, they don't know God, they don't know Christ. You know, I don't know everybody in here. I don't assume everybody's saved. That's the worst thing you can do. But... If you want to join that family, let today be the day.